You're listening to House of Napoli. We're just having some in-between thoughts. This debate is wrapping up, thank goodness, because it has just been a lot to watch it. But don't be dismayed after watching this, because since Bernie is surging in the polls, this was expected. Even though I knew it was expected, it was just still annoying Pete Boogagagagag, like trying to interrupt with lies and just be disrespectful. Joe Biden acting like he does not know where he is and who he's talking to. Amy Klobuchar trying to talk about Martin Luther King, who was a democratic socialist. I mean, it was just so the only person that I didn't get annoyed with was the other billionaire, Tom Steyer, who, for a billionaire, I have not researched him a lot, but from what he has said, for someone who's in that top billionaire class, he is actually trying. (laughs) At least he is acknowledging, you know, some stuff. I'll, I'll give him that. But still. And I feel like he did not attack Bernie. I feel like his actions throughout this whole campaign has been that he knows Sanders has the momentum to win and will win the nomination and he wants a spot up in that administration. That's what I believe. But yeah, I just feel like the Russia questions trying to paint him as he's some support. I'm talking about Bernie, some supporter of uh, communism and socialist uh, dictators. It's just such filled... It's just so obvious, like, where that's coming from. And this whole Russia thing, like, that they will not let go of it is sad. Is really sad. Jimmy Dore recently did a video where he broke down exactly how much money Russia put into ads online and the amount is like ridiculously low I forget exactly what it is but it was not like millions of dollars in ads to try and put some huge dent in influencing the election I feel like the United States government has had a track record and facts only you can go look this information up they have had their hands in so many governments and across the world as long as they're they have invested interests they want certain people to be in power and that's just the way that it's always been they've participated in coups they participated with the cia and assassinating people and kidnapping people and exiling people it's been happening for so many years so they are I think the master and commander of knowing how to botch and maneuver and manipulate their own elections and elections abroad, like just own it to try and put that on Russia. I just think is giving Putin and Russia way too much credit, like way too much credit that they have that much power and acting like Russians have come to invade the bodies of people. And that's how Bernie Sanders is drawing thousands upon thousands upon thousands to donate. And when they see this pile up, the show that you put on to try and cut this man down, or as Chris Matthews said during his meltdown in Nevada, oh, they're going to try and kill him. Well, that they can try, but it 
will not work. And here we go for their last thoughts. Let's wrap this up. I just got a hold of the transcripts of last night's Democratic presidential debate. And it's definitely, I think I might do this for the rest of the debates moving forward to read the transcripts because it'll just be a lot less painful than watching it and hearing the tone of the moderators and all of that mess. But anyway, I wanted to look through this transcripts because I wanted to hear exactly a question that was posed to Joe Biden from a local news person from uh, South Carolina, last name Whitaker. And they had another gentleman on the stage as well for a portion of the debate. Can't remember his name. And it's not as important. The question that he asked or posed, and I originally thought that it was a statistic for South Carolina, but this was a statistic that he pulled. He didn't cite any references, but gave this as a nationwide statistic. And the question was, Vice President Biden, black men earn 73 cents for every dollar earned by white men are about twice as likely to be unemployed, five times more likely to be incarcerated, conditions that ripple across black families and have endured during both Democratic and Republican administrations. How do you convince black voters that you can change years of inequities? Now, this was a very, I mean, this question you could write a dissertation for your PhD, you can write volumes and volumes of anthologies just to answer this question. So to give somebody two minutes is saying a lot, but I feel like if there was a real concerted effort on Joe Biden's part or the Democratic Party's part to really enact change in any demographic, but specifically here we're talking about African-Americans, that Biden would have concrete examples to share and that his team would have prepped him to come up with these examples. But what he responded was just a bunch of hot air that did not make any sense. The vice president, and I don't even want to call him that anymore because he's not vice president. He seems to think he's the Senate, running for Senate. So whatever. Biden says two ways. Number one, my entire life I've been involved with the black community. I was a public defender. I worked in the projects. I came along the first thing I did as chairman of the Judiciary Committee, extended the Voting Rights Act eventually for 25 years. Okay, so the Voting Rights Act, obviously it's a long act and that was I believe that was enacted in 1965. I can look that up pretty quickly. But the Voting Rights Act has nothing to do with the income disparity and discrimination and inequality that the moderator was referring to. 
73 cents versus a dollar for the same job but one worker is black and one is white and we're both we're only talking about males here that we didn't even talk about females that's the question and the answer you start talking about oh i have been a champion of race all my life and i was a public defender what does that mean saying that you're a public defender you're trying to say that most of your defendants were black and you defended them and and helped people who were wrongly incarcerated get off is that what you're saying no you're just saying you're a public defender what what does that mean i'll tell you what it means absolutely nothing so getting back to the voting rights act it was and this is what martin luther king worked to help with president johnson it was signed into law into Johnson uh, in the Johnson administration and basically what they were doing in the Jim Crow South and all over the country was these dirty terrible evil tactics going down to lynching people try to scare them making it insurmountable for black people at that time to get to the polls the type of Uh, testing that you would have to do and know all of this history that nobody is even taught in school like those type of hurdles and that's what the voting rights um, act did was to abolish that and make that a federal offense so uncle joe is trying to tell us that through his efforts you extended the voting rights act i don't even i would have to fact check what he's even saying i don't even understand what that means really but i don't have to understand what it means because it's irrelevant to the question the question was like specifically talking about discrimination and inequality in the pay why if two people are doing the same job why should one make less just based on the color of their skin this is wrong this is directly against what the fabric of america should stand for it should not be tolerated at all these are the words that should have come out of this man's mouth but no he took us on a merry-go-ride merry merry-go-round yeah merry-go-round ride talking about the voting rights act that you extended whatever i don't understand the extension if it by uh, johnson put it into a law federally and it became a part of the constitution it's saying the voting rights act of 1965 signed into law by president lyndon b johnson aimed to overcome legal barriers at the state and local levels that prevented african americans from exercising their right to vote as guaranteed under the 15th amendment of the constitution so it was already uh illegal but states weren't abiding by the constitution so the president had to go in with the efforts of martin luther king with cynic with sclc with so many other volunteers and probably other groups that i don't even know those were just like the main ones to put pressure in the south so that these types of laws can be uh, enacted and written and made that we have to follow them but still 
even in 2020, even with our last election, we saw that there are ways in which the uh, DNC in particular tries to cut corners and tries to be slick to try and get around this Voting Rights Act. Live from Brooklyn, New York, this is House of Naum. But getting back to the debate, so now that you've heard just a, and you could go on, like I said, dissertations written just about the Voting Rights Act and its impact on society. There you go. There's a, a PhD thesis for somebody. But we just gave you a little synopsis right there. And then you if you have if you've finished even high school or grade school, you should be able to know that what I just explained is not the answer to what Mr. Whitaker asked Joe Biden on that stage. Then he goes in and he's throwing in numbers, trying to say that we have to double the amount of money that is available for young entrepreneurs and black entrepreneurs. Now, uh, this mystical, magical money that they're talking about, what, what act either federal on a state level, what organization, where is this money for young entrepreneurs and young black entrepreneurs? I hear a lot of politicians talking about, oh, there's so many funds earmarked and set aside and blah, blah, blah. These funds, they try to make it so difficult and make all these ups and downs and hoops you have to jump through. Sometimes it's not even available. I have heard in the city of New York, this mayor and his wife talk about, oh, funds available for women, funds available for women. And when you look up what she was talking about in that speech, where are the funds? Where are the funds available? I don't know what these people are talking about. So this very vague, open, oh, we have to double the amount of money that is available. Where is it available? That's what I want to know. And where is it? Where in this country? Where? What state? What city? What federal agency do you have to contact if you're a black entrepreneur and you need help with a loan and getting your business off the ground? Where? 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 Show me. You know why you can't show me? Because it doesn't exist where. If it is, it's some like private thing that they only give to like five people for the whole nation. Please. So moving on, then he's like, we got 1.5 billion to 3 billion, taking 3 billion off the sideline. That's how you create wealth. Mr. Biden, what on earth are you talking about? We go from 1.5 to 3, taking 30 billion off the sidelines. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Then he's talking about a tax credit for first time home buyers to give them 15,000 bucks so that they can keep the mortgage at the front end and be able to keep it. What are you talking about? Thirdly, I go after those who are involved in gentrification because that's what's happening. We're moving out of the, their neighborhoods in ways that in fact make no sense. They're being bought out. You can't find a place to live. Mr. Biden, sir, <laughs> this whole scrambled eggs, that's what it see. It seems like the connectors are not connecting at all. <laughs> like, I don't even know how to a- analyze this from a political standpoint, because this just seems like 
like I said, tossed salad and scrambled eggs. That's what it looks like. Like what? Just a bunch of tossed together numbers and sentences strung together like scrambled eggs. It's just, I can't even, okay, let me even try. (laughs) Let's back it up. Let me take a pause. Okay, I just had to take a breath because this is just not making any sense at all. So then he went into some third air quote here point where he's talking about, look, right now, if you live in a black neighborhood and you have the same exact house as a guy across the street in a white neighborhood has, your house is valued significantly less than the white at the same exact house. We got to deal with the institutional racism. Like throwing in a key word like institutional racism because you're talking in front of a black audience and just throw out, like I said, these things that just are tossed and scrambled when the man's question had to do with inequality, with discrimination, with racism, why you're bringing up voting, why you're bringing up housing and mortgages, and the fact you were a public defender and all this, you are talking about everything else under the sun, except for what the man asked you, because you don't have an answer. You don't have an answer for when you were in the Senate. You don't have an answer when you were Obama's right-hand man as his VP. And you do not have an answer for if you were to be given the presidency. So why on earth, why should Black voters of a certain age or any age hand you their vote just because blacks have been loyal to the democratic party it is time it is time no matter i know that the younger generation the millennials those in gen z who are uh, 18 and that can vote they get it because they're not sitting down watching chris matthews melt down every night they're not watching the insanity of chuck todd They are out there listening to independent news, reading independent news, listening to people's podcasts on Apple, on Spotify. You know, that's how they are getting their news and they're making their decisions for themselves. They're saying we're not just going to vote out of symbolic uh, obedience Oh, because Obama symbolically was the first black president or half black or someone with any type of black that would acknowledge it in the White House. (laughs) And the symbolism of it all, I understand. But after some point, symbolism has to wear off and you have to look at your surroundings and ask yourself the question, What did this presidency do for me and my family? How did we prosper? How did we move up? How did things change? And then you're trying to say that the election of Trump came. It doesn't make sense. Even if you're not somebody who holds an advanced degree, you don't need a bachelor's degree to sit and think critically. Just sit down and ask yourself the question. Ask yourself how your mama's doing. Ask yourself how your daddy. Ask yourself how your kids and how their kids are doing. Are they all thriving? Are they all young black entrepreneurs just making it? Everybody thriving? Everybody's doing well? Or at least you can say everyone was doing well under Obama and then Trump came around and everyone's doing bad again. No! That question from Whitaker came and said that statistic about black men and 73 cents on the dollar 
has been a statistic, whether it's in Democratic government that's in control or Republican. So ask yourself the question, people, despite your love of Obama and the symbolism, what did the administration do? Because I'm telling you, if you all were really striving and really doing well under those years, there's no way that Donald J. Trump could have come in and won that election. I don't care. I don't care what he did. I don't care what type of uh, marketing, media, magic he had. I don't care what reality show he had done or what he created. There's no way if people were like, oh, well, we were thriving under Obama. So, shoot, we're going to continue with people who want to continue in his legacy. That's what it would have been it. But no, that's not the case. People were struggling, struggling, feeling the boot on their neck, feeling the boot on their back. That's why people were like, change has got to come. And that's why people are like that now in 2020. So, (laughs) I mean, this was just one question out of the whole debate. But I'm telling you, that's it for, for, that's a wrap for me. It was a wrap for me, please. Like from the minute that this man Biden stepped into the race. There was no way that I was going to just, oh, I'm just going to give him my vote because you were VP to President Obama. What is that even? That means nothing to me because literally I did not see if I have to forget the statistics, look at how you and your family did. Just look, look at how your friends did, how, how your peers did. Look, and if you think like, oh, well, this person still is at that same job, has been looking for a job for so long, and this person, this house happened, and this, and this, and this, and this, then you know that people are doing well. You can tell that people are doing well because look at the amount of homelessness. Since I've been living in New York, it has skyrocketed. It hasn't gotten less. During the Obama years, it didn't get less. It got more. It got more. (laughs) It became increasingly more and it's increasing not just in New York City but around the country so something has to change we have to stop like living in with rose-colored glasses on in a smog and just being like yeah Obama like because Obama's doing great y'all him and you know why him and Michelle are posting those pictures and living the life skydiving smiling ear to ear two kids are in college they're gonna do well he is a multi 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 millionaire selling away rights so he can buy uh, write books and do Netflix deals. That man is chilling, okay? Chilling. And I'm glad that it worked out for him and his tribe. But what about all of us? Not to say that we all need to be living his exact life. But I I just don't... <laughs> I, I don't get the whole... Like, I understand symbolism to a degree. But at the end, was the symbolic figure... Was he just a figurehead or he actually did things, not just for the advancement of black people, brown people, people of color, but for all people? Where was that? Because like I said, if it was so great, I highly, highly, highly doubt that a Donald J. Trump could have even stood a chance. And that's real talk. And that's real talk. Because if... 
I am wrong, then Mr. Biden missed a huge opportunity to let us all know about what Obama and him did to to create more inequality. That's what the question was, and he couldn't answer it. And then he calls South Carolina his firewall. He tried to say that he never said that, but we all know that he did. We, there's probably video of him saying it more than once. Believing that it's his firewall, resting on the coattails of the symbolism of President Obama's presidency. The symbolism alone. Thinking that, oh, well, these black people were down for us. Hillary won South Carolina doing the same thing. So the same thing for me. I'm not going to have to. I read a recently Claiborne, the senator, highest ranking senator or black senator. And he has some accolade like that. But I, this man, I don't even have to investigate him. I know he's in the pocket of the establishment. Because what are you doing as a senator? These are your people. This is your constituency. What have you done, Claiborne, to ease the suffering of your constituency in your state? What have you done? That's what they have elected you to go to Congress and to go to Washington and fight for them. And to advocate for them. How have you advocated and what measures have passed? Because according to the statistic that we heard last night, things are still the same. So what is Claiborne doing for for his endorsement of Biden to be, oh, this... I have read so many tweets from all these political pundits who have blue checks and you know, all written all the articles and are, are, are writing op-eds for Washington Post and all this stuff. So what? Their analysis is whack and it's wrong and they are being either paid off by the establishment or it's in their best interest to keep those jobs and those positions and that blue check if they do gaslight what the establishment wants and that's not journalism the feedings us a a a bot paid for narrative is not journalism journalism is even though everyone wanted to and that's an establishment talking point to come and to diss julian assange for wikileaks But we now know so much of the corruption that's going on in our own government because it was exposed. And what Julian Assange did is nothing different than what the Washington Post did, or I believe that was the publication, and the New York Times for publishing uh papers about the Vietnam War. (laughs) Those papers, the name of the papers are escaping me but that's exactly what Julian Assange did but you're trying to basically throw the whole book at this man and this man is on the last legs he's about to give up and the corporate neoliberal media is silent nobody is talking or at least in the corporate side about Julian Assange there is a court uh there's court proceedings going on in England right now and his lawyers are passionately fighting for this man's life saying that if he is extradited to the United States that the likelihood of his whole psychology breaking down and he could commit suicide these people don't care they want to make an example out of him 
and to shut him down. There is no evidence that is substantial that shows that he assisted anybody in breaking into anything. He would be like how the Washington Post was when they were getting those papers, when their sources were calling them and probably a little scared to do something. They were like, well, you know, I know this is a great risk to you, but this, you're helping the nation. You're a hero. You're this, you're that. They probably say things like that because they want the story, but they're not going to go and then coach and be like, okay, well, why don't you try this code? And then why don't you like hack into this IPS? IPS I is that the IP IP address and I don't even know what I'm talking about I'm just trying to sound like I know the hacking situation not that um that is not where my strengths lie but anyway let's just pretend that that was all the right jargon and whatever that's not what this man did he did what any journalist would do to try and convince his source you know that the right thing to do was to let us publish this this is too important to not let the american people know but yet we have because he exposed this government and he exposed Hillary Clinton and the Podesta emails and all that WikiLeaks has WikiLeaks has brought to the table Donald Trump was praising WikiLeaks on the campaign trail while he was running praising talking about WikiLeaks I love WikiLeaks now he's got no love for Juliet Assange because now Uh, Trump is playing ball with the establishment. He was running like he was anti-establishment before to try and get votes. But he's right there with him and all of his establishment people, both on Democrat and Republican sides, are also playing with him as well. So, yeah, that's that's basically it. Uh, This... uh, endorsement from this senator to me is meaningless because if this statistic is still the same and it's the same way in South Carolina and I can't find any information on what this Clyburn has done to try and ease and eliminate inequality in his state among men and women and everyone And Biden can't give a straight answer that indicates that it's not just the words that he's saying. Like, oh, I've cared for so long and I since 1920, whatever. Like, no, I want to hear and know the facts only. Facts only. And he wasn't able to supply them. So don't turn around and give him your vote. It's almost, I was like, why am I even making a podcast or write a blog post about this? Because I believe this really is the endorsement of the senator and Joe Biden is only appealing to a smaller section of the African-American vote in South Carolina. I think you're talking about people 55 plus. I would even go to say 60 plus. So I believe that the other demographics are more hip to the game, 
like I said, are not listening to Chris Matthews' meltdown every month telling you that there's going to be assassinations in New York City's Central Park because of socialism and uh, comparing it to Nazi Germany and Adolf Hitler, like all these insanely racist, culturally insensitive, and like just bat, you know what, crazy. <laughs> Like when you reach that level of crazy, not institutional, like you really have something wrong in your DNA or something like that. Like it is fear that drives your mind to come up with some of this insanity that these people are saying. And that's what it is. Fear of changing the status quo. Fear that, oh, my millions and billions aren't enough and they're going to come for it. That's what this is. That's what this is. And it's crazy, y'all. It's crazy that we're in this time where the president of the United States is telling us one thing about a virus and disease that by all looks of it looks like it is wiping people out. On one hand, you've got the president saying, like, no, we got it under control. Don't worry. And then you've got people in the the medical community at the highest ranking levels being like, no, actually, apocalypse. Like, th- this is insanity. Like, the, the fact that they are toying with people and their lives and their... The, their mental state like this can start start driving you see how people go crazy when 20 inches of snow is coming the way i mean weather especially in areas that aren't used to it like for example new york city should be used to dealing with oh when it snows we don't the snow doesn't seem to stick I'm not sure if it's the concrete or the built heat gemanating from the underground or whatever, but rarely does snow, unless you have a heavy snow repeatedly, does snow stick around here in the city. But every time it snows, it is like batten down the hatches, grab all the bread and the milk. I don't know why I'm talking (laughs) with my fake British accent. Oh, maybe I'm thinking about the Titanic when I say batten down the hatches. Anyway, but it becomes panic mode here you can't find bottled water you can't find bread you can't find the the daily necessities because once they start talking about it in the news that everybody goes crazy and i understand wanting to be very careful about how you talk to your citizens but the answer is not to downplay it when something a virus like this is airborne and it's scary to downplay and act like it's no big deal just because you think you and Melania and Baron are all safe and protected wrapped up in your dollar bills like that and that oh me and my crew are cool we're not gonna catch this thing so who cares we can downplay it like that's not cool and on the flip side it's not cool if the Uh, opposition to Trump is trying to use this I can't even I'm not agreeing with this man what is it not Glenn Beck but the other one that just won a presidential medal of freedom I don't understand what this man has ever done that has centered around freedom (laughs) but okay so on his talk show today he was trying to say well they're using the virus to try and get Trump if that is has any kind of truth to it then that is like 
on a next level type of evil. Like, how are you going to use this virus? You know, like, oh, Russiagate didn't work. Impeachment didn't work. All that stuff, we're going to use this virus. Like, no, if it is contained and under control, then let that be that and try how you are going to unseat this man is to have a candidate that you back and that has the people behind them. (laughs) Bernie Sanders. That's what you do. But you don't want that because you know Bernie ain't trying to be bought and Bernie is going to want to redistribute the taxes. First of all, he's going to start saying that places like Jeff Bezos, Amazon, that billion dollar companies have to start paying taxes. The NFL that has a not for profit thing. You're going to find a way to make them pay taxes. It's ridiculous how they are even by law able to file 501c3 status is beyond me. But yeah, that's and the people don't want to let go of that. They don't want to let go of that, even though in their lifetime, in their children's lifetime, in their children's, 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 children's children's lifetime, they will never, ever, ever spend all of that money. But with greed just comes with delusion, I think. Delusion. You're just, oh no, my money, my money. And money just takes over your brain and starts melting it. And we need to as a society understand that money is a conduit to make things happen and to build things and for infrastructure and all that you can't worship this thing you can't let it melt your brain like that either the greed and hoarding and love and pursuit of money or the lack of it too we have to understand what money truly is and get some perspective and put lives and put the love of life one owns life and the love of lives, the, the love of life for others first, and then use money as a means to make sure that we can have those rights, which are health, which are uh, the pursuit of happiness. What is written in our Bill of Rights? Okay. <laughs> okay. That's really where where it is. Like, I mean, we need to really be demanding better from the people that we have put in office or people, even if you didn't vote for that person, you need, that is their job to be straight with us, even though they'd be lying all the time. And we need to hear the truth, especially when it comes to these type of health issues. And they need to have a plan in place and to do it effectively, not to be lying, So I even bring up the craziness of this virus. Is it contained? Is it not contained? Is it contained? I'm telling you, like, I woke up in the morning, I get alerts from The Economist, which I'm not saying is some type of non-corporate, corporatist uh, publication, but I do check into those corporate publications and news programs just to see what the establishment is doing, what they're cooking up. And the economist was like, oh, the virus is contained, yay. And so I was like, oh, okay. Not to say that I'm taking the economist's word for it, but I'm like reading, okay, they've got a control over this. And then in that same day is when a high-ranking member or some ranking member of the CDC is putting out report basically saying, like, prepare for the end. <laughs> like, 
these are two different like on polar sides like one is saying yeah we did it we got it it's chill it's under control the other one was like buy food buy up all the water and like no we we need to know what's up but my last point before we switch to another topic because like I said you could write books and dissertations and speak for hours on this subject I'm just going to try to keep it as concise as possible. But these type of epidemics that people can't plan for and that people truly cannot, let your money cannot protect you, only so far can your money protect you. And like I said, if there is some type under our system, if there is some type of vaccine, it will be through a health system and it will be those that have are covered under their insurance and those ca- that can pay. That's basically what it's going to boil down to. That protects you only for a little while because as we have said so time and time again on the show, whether you want to accept it and make it a part of your life or not, we are as human beings all connected. What is going on in Australia is going to affect me here in New York. What's going on in Afghanistan is going to affect Sally, Susie, and Iowa. Even if you don't see the direct, uh, the direct effect that it has, we are because that is the law of life. So you can't think that, oh, we in the United States, we're just going to put up these borders and it's not going to like get here because we're all connected. You know, I mean, people travel in and out and all of this stuff, like how would you be able to contain something like that? And if you do have a plan, we need to know. But isn't this one of the best arguments for Medicare for all with this type of thing looming and that could happen again or something even worse? You wouldn't want to take the chance of somebody not being able to get care or even if they they do find a vaccine or if the one that already exists becomes available for people just because you're not on a certain health plan or the copays. Like in these type of instances, we can't sit there and be thinking about copay payments and, oh, this person can't pay and it's too expensive. Not when lives are on the line. Everybody's life. 99% the working class and the ruling class. Because there's no way you can never touch. We don't have enough AI to do what the ruling class needs from the working class. There's no no computers that can take over everything. Y'all would have done it already. You've only done what you can so far with the technology. So you need us. And we need you. We need each other. This is a yin and yang, an ebb and a flow. So that's why everybody has to be in. Not, oh, I have a choice. You gotta be in. You got to be in. Maybe you can get electives if you have more money. But everybody's got to be covered. Because nobody should have an excuse that, oh, I'm not going to go. Because, uh-uh, get up and go. Like, you don't have a, you don't have a choice if it's something like this. You don't have a choice to want to sit, like how people try and when they have the flu. And I understand, okay, let me stop with that tone. I understand that with sick, some people don't have sick days. I think in New York, they just passed or maybe they're trying to pass something so that fast food workers can have sick days. I don't even think it passed. It's something like, oh, well, that we want to do. Like, so I understand sick days, 
But I've worked in corporations where, you know, people have a handful of sick days, but they just don't want to use them because they want to stack them up for that vacation to the Bahamas or whatever. So they will come to work with the damn flu and try, sorry for my, but they'll come to work with the, with the flu and be sneezing and breathing over people, letting all their particles up in the air and spreading it, knowing that they are sick, but they're like, oh, I want to use that vacation. To me, you don't have that luxury you can't spread this thing you know like I understand sick days or not or if I don't work I'm not gonna make my rent I get that but you cannot like willingly come and spread germs like that because even though you're fighting through that flu there are some people who whose bodies can't so it's not fair for you to know that if you have something and you're still contagious, and from what I know, as long as you were showing symptoms, you could still be contagious. I know they say this three-day rule, but mm, don't trust it, people. So I'm not trying to cause hysteria. I am just trying to express what I what, what I see is a whole bunch of in the words of Biden, malarkey going on here. And I want people to start opening their eyes and not just falling in line and being the good obedient sheep and the firewall that Biden and the DNC just is hoping that you are. Oh, because I mentioned this a couple minutes ago. I saw an interview, transcripts of an interview with a representative or Senator Claiborne on a Fox News show where the Fox News host was asking a bunch of questions, basically getting this senator to admit that under Trump, the inequalities or the unemployment, at least of African-Americans has been better. And of course, Claiborne wasn't trying to give it to him. He was cutting corners and going around and around and around. Okay, fine. But one thing in that interview that was very interesting was he uh the interviewer i think cavado is what i don't watch fox news like that i think it's cavado it's some financial show or something it doesn't matter anyway so dude from fox news was like oh yeah so biden basically you know i know that you're close with him and you're gonna endorse him and he's got the black vote and whatever but i don't see why and blah 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 and then claiborne's of course like yeah biden's the best but then he said something He's asking, uh, Fox News commentator is asking him, or host, is asking Claiborne specific questions about Biden. And Claiborne's response was like, oh, I haven't talked to him. And uh, talked to him in a while or something. And so I don't want to put, I don't want to speak for him because I haven't spoken to him. It's like, what? This was sometime late in 2019. It's like, y'all aren't talking every day? Like, if, if... This is your so that just to me shows me that Biden is playing out of the Hillary playbook and it's a losing playbook. Why you want to follow in her footsteps of not spending time in those states and not taking things for granted, not taking oh, they're gonna be my firewall and they love Obama and there's no way. I wouldn't have taken that, and I'm not for this man at all, at all. But I wouldn't have been so smug and so confident. Okay, let's take smug out of it. Confident in your standing in that community that you weren't 
having boots on the ground like how Bernie has for three months. I listened to a Bernie organizer yesterday on statusco.com. They were doing a live stream from South Carolina, not from the debate site, obviously, because tickets for that thing were $1,500 and up. And you know it was mostly a bought and paid for audience with all of the emotion coming from Michael Bloomberg, who paid for that, obviously. But whatever. I heard a Bernie organizer, he went into detail talking about just his experience as a canvasser for Bernie knocking on doors, hearing that most people weren't opposed to Bernie, hearing about his points and what he his agenda that people were open to it and didn't hear anybody who was like get out of here with that socialist stuff people want to hear about it because he's speaking to the needs of the people and he can show that i've been talking about this for a while he can show that i've made measures to get this done for a while but i can't get it done on my own there's no one politician because like the establishment cronies have been saying, that eh, he, he won't get anything done because they're all going to oppose him. Well, you know what? Once they start opposing this stuff, the same hundreds and thousands of people all across this nation that were volunteering for this campaign, knocking on doors, organizing you all, those same people are going to take to the streets. Those same people that voted him in office are going to take to the streets and demand that these people resign from their seats and if they won't resign they will start building coalitions and they've already started to build coalitions and movements to unseat these people who are constantly blocking what needs to happen like this mitch mcconnell his name gets thrown around all the time as the sinister doctor evil of the congress you know (laughs) nothing good for the people will ever come through because i am okay sit there and think you're gonna sit there for all of eternity it's not happening because i know of a woman i know of a woman on a democratic ticket who is gaining strength and momentum who wants to come and unseat you there is somebody else who's running against nancy pelosi who's an actual progressive candidate so this is what's going to happen and if you think that this is all fair oh no they can't do it all i have to do a O.C. A.O.C. was not a political career uh, politician. She can she couldn't have been. She was the youngest woman elected to Congress. So this is not somebody coming in with 15, 20 years of experience behind her. She came in with passion. She came in and showed what the establishment says that they're going to do and never does and said that I'm going to speak up for you and keep speaking until it gets done. And look at what this woman has been in Congress for a year and some change. You would think the way she has changed the platform and the conversation and the fear that the establishment has of her that she's been around forever. So there is not an AOC is not just a single candidate and senator that success story that can happen all across this nation and it will start to happen and it's not will it is happening now so get ready y'all get ready at house of apple at house of apple